Our panel of break-fix petrolheads are back for another rousing what-should-I-buy debate. Using unique shopping criteria, they are challenged to find our first-time collector the best vehicle that will make their friends go, where do you get that? Or what the hell is wrong with you? At the next Cars and Coffee. Oh, the dreaded car buying experience. No matter who you are, it's probably a safe bet this isn't your ideal way to spend your weekend. In and out of dealerships, the hassle, haggling, the decision making. When confronted with car buying in today's modern world, there are just so many more choices besides make, model, and what color do I want? Now it's which power source do I want? To what level does it drive itself? Which creature comforts and gizmos are available for subscription? Am I Apple or Android? Even before so many choices, men and women have traditionally approached this experience experience differently for a multitude of reasons, some spanning use cases, from the mom van to car enthusiast. Today, we will be diving deeper into what should I buy from a lady's point of view, focusing on the new car buyer versus car collector demographic, and even more specifically, EV buyers. Our group of extraordinary petrolhead panelists range from veteran car reviewers to prospective buyers, as well as ladies already living with EVs. We're here to explore what to look for in today's EV car market. Joining us tonight, we have some returning Break Fix guests. Please welcome Sarah Lacey from A Girl's Guide to Cars, Carolyn Ford from the Tech Transforms podcast, Grand Touring Motorsports Club members Emily Fox and Chrissy Crutchfield, as well as special guest Kat DeLorean from DNG Motors. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. Thank you. Hi. We're here to talk cars. Where are we in our car journeys? So I'll start. I am not an EV car owner. That's what our main focus of discussing is tonight. I am, in fact, not even a new car owner. All my cars are (laughs) aged. if you will (laughs) for historic tags right yeah i I got one on historics already another i could put on historics this year and my daily driver i can't put on historics but it would be ready in two years so (laughs) i'm right there with you i don't have an ev or any real new cars i think my newest car is 2017 i've owned a hybrid before but all of my cars are internal combustion I own many cars. I actually own a new car. I own a 2022 XC40 Recharge, smaller size SUV, and I freaking love this thing. This is my daily driver. And I also have a 1967 MGB GT, which has the interior pulled apart, so I'm currently in the middle of year two of redoing it. But buying the SUV EV was perfect for me. I've got two girls. I need to carry all their soccer stuff around and all their Girl Scout stuff everywhere, all over Maryland every weekend. And it works perfectly for that, going to the grocery store, whatever it is that I need. It does take a while to fill up, but for a daily task car, and you're only going maybe an hour, an hour and a half out of your regular charging area, it's not too bad. So Emily's winning our oldest car prize. I was winning until Emily spoke, so (laughs) Chrissy. We have the Volkswagen ID4 first edition and we just got a new Toyota Tundra but obviously that's off topic and we have two others mostly older cars I'm excited to share and make suggestions even because there's a few that I'm actually interested in I am not a new car owner either my car is a 2016 but I did buy my son for his first car a hybrid he's still driving it right now it's a 2005 I'll have to ask him how many miles. I feel like it had almost 150,000 miles on it when I bought it. 
And I live in Utah. We just got dumped on with snow, like 15 inches. Like he gets to where he needs to go in this little Prius, which always shocks me. That was my hybrid was a Prius. I loved it. It was my fun little clown car. Yeah, he <laughs> loves his. And I drive a CRV because I do a lot of outdoor things. And like I'm going up the mountain to ski. So I need room for my skis and everything. And I'm always worried that I won't be able to get to where I need to go. But he doesn't seem to have a problem. He snowboards. He's taken it up into the mountains. So I'm very interested in a pure EV and I'm lazy and impatient. <laughs> And I don't want to have to wait at a charging station for 45 minutes. So I can't wait to have you guys help me get over these big hesitations for an EV because I want one. Sarah, round us off. Okay. I have a 2021 Tesla Model Y and I have a 1982 Porsche 911 SC. Oh, as we dive into this outdoors, you want to take it into the mountains, you want to load your ski or snowboard gear in it, you're lazy, you're impatient, you don't want to wait three hours at the charger station. <laughs> well, and I go to the desert. So my runs like to the desert from my house. It's a three, three and a half hour ride. I'm going to have to stop and charge halfway there, right? And how long is that going to take, Emily? Uh, a while, depending on what kind of car you buy. <laughs> And depends on what year it is, because if they actually do anything about the EV charging grid across the continental United States, it might get a little bit better. But right now, it'll take you a really long time if you can find a charger on your way there and back. Exactly. So ladies and gentlemen listening, we are quickly devolving into what should I not buy? And that's an EV car. Kat <laughs> has something to say here though. Talk me into it. She's shaking her head. No, I'm shaking my head because if you brought me on here to convince you to get an EV, he called the wrong guest. <laughs> no, I think I wanted you to convince me because I want to be a good global citizen and do my part. My question is, is with all of these requirements, and concerns and your experience thus far with a car that was purchased with 150,000 miles on it, why are you going EV and not hybrid? That's what I want to ask you guys. Like right now, I just heard a story on NPR that totally crapped all over the hybrids and said, we got to do better and go into the full EV. But I agree with you. Like the hybrid seems like a really good way to go. It's not for everyone. There's a lot of things that go into EVs being greener. And there's a, a lot of things that are going into what's happening with EVs right now. While you may want to get an EV eventually, that'll meet all the needs that you have. You're not necessarily a bad global citizen for going hybrid because an EV right now doesn't meet your needs. Also, in order for the electricity that's charging your EV to be greener, it has to come from a greener source than the gasoline or in some way. That was another big question of mine. How do you know that what you're charging with isn't doing just as much damage? If you want to be a good steward of the environment, work to offset the carbon you use until you can get something that can be a fully neutral vehicle. Don't try and change your entire life just because you want something that everybody else will look at you and go, oh, look, she's doing great for the environment. <laughs> a great way of putting it. Well, and I think that that speaks to the idea that there's a discrepancy between what is available and what people can manage in their daily lives. And there is something 
into wanting to speak via your wallet, you know, I'm going to purchase an EV because I know that maybe everything I want in an EV isn't there yet, but I want to push that forward by purchasing an EV or a plug-in hybrid at this stage of the game. There's a lot of gray area to consider for this. And I do think that your feelings are valid that, yes, you do want to be a global citizen and recognizing that it's not maybe 100% the right choice for you right now, but it doesn't mean that you can't also find something that bridges that gap. Day to day, we're just seeing so many more models. We're seeing so many improvements in infrastructure, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Charging stations are tough understanding and being a consumer in this environment is tough. We all have to become electrical engineers all of a sudden. It's a very early time in the life of EVs. So you have to be patient with yourself. And unfortunately, you have to do a lot of homework. I don't want you to uh, lazy shame yourself. It's just a lot of information to take on right now. Yeah. I have a question about the environmental impact of EVs. So I buy an EV. Let's say I buy, I think it was a Chevy Bolt, which is about $20,000. And in eight years with an internal combustion engine, I would have turned around and sold that car or a hybrid with 150,000 miles on it. And it would have continued to live on. But in eight years, it's going to cost somebody who spent $20,000 on a car, $15,000 to replace the battery. So you're creating a bunch of throwaway cars while harvesting all of the lithium from our planet and these toxic chemicals that create death napalm when they catch on fire to save the planet. You're who I needed to talk to. I feel better about myself. (laughs) I'm telling you that I am not the person to convince you to buy an EV. Also, our electric infrastructure can't support our air conditioning. Do you guys know what happens when you bring three electric Cadillacs into a dealership at once? You can't plug them all in or the whole dealership goes dark. It's not just the charging stations. We don't currently make enough electricity to support every single person plugging a car into their house. So we can't push EVs for every single person when there are other options that we had available to us to put our research towards and they're not available for us to buy now. And I have feelings about the fact that they're going to be delaying them. Because I feel like too, that is yet another piece that's moving along. You know, it feels like a snail's pace for a lot of us. But I was at the Chicago Auto Show and there was a woman there from Con Ed speaking and she was talking about how what we have to remember is that every single person isn't going to plug in every single night and crash the grid. Granted, she's in the Midwest. She's not speaking from the standpoint of someone in California where you have to manage things like brownouts and whatever. And one of our writers on our website, she just bought this really cool solar generator. In the event of a brownout, she's still going to have the option to charge her car from the solar generator. So it's yet another piece that we're seeing a lot of development taking place. I think it's important that we recognize too that that kind of information and those things change on a month-to-month basis. Things are changing. They're figuring things out. We still don't really know for sure how recycling these batteries is going to work. And we don't know for sure what that cost ultimately will be. We're facing a massive, massive phase of early adoption. We just really haven't seen that on this scale. So it's hard to know. We're not creating throwaway batteries, we're creating throwaway entire cars. 
that's my problem with it. It'd be one thing if we were just causing an issue with recycling the batteries, but it's causing the cars to be something we just toss away. I don't know how much people on this call know there is in existence a hydrogen peroxide engine that was developed and quashed because of EV policymakers. So again, I have very, very strong feelings about what's happened in the EV world. You mentioned people probably aren't going to plug in every night. I don't know if that's true or not. I plug in every night. I would. I do. I don't have to. But I do. I you know, if they're pushing the trend toward, you know, everyone's no longer building internal combustion engines by the year last year, you know, and it's EV or die. You're going to have multi EV cars in your home. Someone's going to be plugging in every night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. The grids can't handle it. We've seen this in the last couple of years, the huge outages in Texas where everyone was freezing to death because the grids couldn't support it. And they're their own special case of owning their own infrastructure and electricity. So we won't go there. (laughs) But nonetheless, there's always brownouts and blackouts in California and this, that, and the other. That is a big problem. And Kat, to your point, what's always seems to be missed is the life cycle analysis, which is literally from Mm -hmm. the very beginning of the smallest component that goes into the car to what happens when it is put in the crusher at the landfill and put it back into the earth. I still haven't gotten a good read on what that is versus your traditional ice engine car. I mean, a lot of the components are the same. You've got the frames and the body panels and all that, but you just have so many more electronics that are specialized that we know aren't great to just throw out into the oceans, right? I'm not necessarily convinced either that EV is like the 100% way that the future should go. I think there's room for them and I think they have great use cases and there are great times they should be applied. But just like your finances, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You need to diversify. So there's still room for our hybrids even more than regular ICE engines. And there's also homes for EVs as well as hydrogen engines, hopefully if they can, you know, solve the impending Hindenburg issues and whatever other, you know, technology... (laughs) Dutch are trying to put solar panels on the tops of cars and (laughs) you can run them for an hour a day or whatever. There's all this going on. It's a complicated answer. It is. But you bring up a really interesting point that I don't think a lot of people actually think about when they're talking about what kind of car should I buy is the ability of you to maintain or work on your own car. We've had gas powered motors for such a long period of time, decades upon decades. Culturally, in that era of growing up, there was a reasonable expectation that you as the owner of your car were responsible for the maintenance of it. And it wasn't until you got mass market production of all of these kinds of vehicles in like the 1980s and the 1990s that you started to see this, as Kat put it, this throwaway kind of mentality associated with cars. You go to a specialty shop to do a repair on it. You're not necessarily doing it yourself. You're not being taught those skills. The next natural iteration of that, as you modernize engines to be more efficient, to do more, to do amazing things of whatever anybody wants it to be in saving the environment, you're taking away the ability to be self-maintaining on your own vehicle. You're abstracting that. And you see that today in a lot of technology concepts, going from writing on something with a paper, pen, and pad to actually scribbling on your iPad with it and how many layers of abstraction and tactile difference you're losing over the course of that. And when that happens, 
there is no life cycle assessment because we've not been around long enough to say that there's somebody that can actually work on EVs and recycle those batteries and reuse those parts and rebuild those parking sensors by themselves. And then it's an uphill battle because there's for years now, actually, I think there's been groups that are trying to advocate the anti right to work. You're not allowed to work on your car. You have to go bring it to a service station or auto dealer, whoever it is. I hate that. I hate that so much. That's terrible. I hope that never passes. That's actually something that we're working very, very hard on in the design of our car. I love working on my car for many reasons. My car is one of the best engineered cars ever. That C7 is just beautiful. And the weight distribution, it's an incredible car. I can't get in there. It's too tight. My husband and I have been talking about this loss of a desire. 50% of kids today, they don't want cars. And we believe part of it is because you have that loss of tactile relationship with it. You can no longer work on your cars. And so one of the questions I said to my technology engineers was, can we Minecraft the car or Linux the car, make it open source, Mm -hmm. take it to somewhere where we can... open source, right? Start to actually work on our cars because not only do you have this battery obsolescence, you have planned obsolescence in the technology. You're not going to have these cars supported. They're computers on wheels. And so what happens when Windows goes end of life and it's no longer supported, you can't get updates. And what's going to happen to these cars? There is a throwaway, whereas you can still buy a 64 GTO today, there is an absolute death point on these cars where they will not be able to be revived no matter what you do. Now, with hybrids, you have an interesting situation where if this hybrid dies, you can actually rebuild it with a mid-engine internal combustion engine. So there is an opportunity for at least some of these cars to be repurposed. And I do believe that if you start to think about that in these EV cars, okay, when it dies, it's going to die. How do we create something that can be turned into something else? Is the throwaway thing true with all EVs or just the lower end? Like Sarah's Tesla, is it going to die in eight years? You're going to have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for a new battery. (laughs) The question becomes, do you, at the end of that, however many, 120,000 miles, do you want to spend ten or $15,000 to get a new battery pack? Or do you want to let the car go and get something different or a new one, whatever you decide you want to do at that point? But one of the things I wanted to touch on about that was that there's a debate going on right now, too, about technology in cars. And this goes a little bit beyond the EV discussion. But in Germany, BMW is creating subscription-based features. Yes. Mercedes, too. Yes. What do you mean subscription-based features? Like, Like radio? You want to go faster? You pay. You pay a monthly fee for your heated seats. What? No. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's just one example. I'm curious what the real return on investment of that is, because the infrastructure to support that has to be massive. Are you really making that much money? I guess. I don't know. People have gotten so hooked in the last, I don't know how many years you want to call it, with this pay to play. And the younger generation is like addicted to that because all your video gaming systems, it's no longer I go to the store and I just 
spend 50 bucks and I have a game and I have the entire game. No, it's I spend 50 bucks and I have a quarter of the game. And then like every two months I have to pay $25. I can level up to get like the next 10 minutes of playtime. And then on top of that, like $1.99 here and $1.99 there. And the same thing on your cell phones, like Candy Crush and all this stuff. And it's like, they keep tempting you and teasing you with these little bits of features that you want for, you know, little amounts of money. And as you do it little by little, it desensitizes you. And then they're shifting that now into cars. It's like, yeah, you want heated seats? It's an extra $9.99 a month. You want to turn your radio on and actually hear a channel broadcast? Another $10 a month and so on. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Kind of doing this one to ourselves because we're allowing it to happen. Even with streaming TV, it's like we all complained about cable TV. We don't have what I want to <laughs> watch. I wish I could a la carte it. And now we can a la carte it and there's 15 streaming services. And Amen. We're unhappy so again. <laughs> I want to go back to what something you said though about the gamification I'm labeling it now you didn't say gamification but you put something in my head about the kids working on their cars like I totally had an Iron Man vision of them able to like really are you going there yeah it's something that I would like other people to adopt that's part of our whole model is yes I want kids to be able to interact with their cars again and I'm not necessarily going to be able to get them to be able to interact with it the way I could so instead of trying to give them the experience I had how can I take it to their level and if you look at how profoundly successful anything open source is that allows them to get creative that's the whole thing everybody wants to get back to using their hands I not only want to create something that they can interact with that they can 3d print parts for and that they can program their own little updates for whatever i want to create something that will last forever i want them to have a lifetime warranty on their car and i'll just build it into the price of the car and put away a savings that goes with it until they sell it and then it goes away whatever but we have this cost of maintenance this cost of ownership that is stifling now when my dad built cars the thing that drove him crazy was the two biggest expenses you have in your life are your house and your car why are we paying for the second one forever literally forever soon as you finish paying for the first car either you're paying as much as a new car payment to maintain it or you have to go buy a new car because it just died for whatever reason why aren't we investing a little bit more in making something people can actually own and afford to own my dad was a car guy too and he always said that it was designed that way on purpose it doesn't have to be that way that's exactly why my father quit general motors (laughs) he wrote a whole book about it got him in a lot of trouble there's no money in keeping cars yeah he said why are you doing this i don't agree and testified before congress about it it's a big thing that has been in existence forever and it's time that we do something to stop the bleeding and it terrifies me that we're not thinking about the fact that we might be creating fast fashion with cars by not thinking about the life cycle of these evs i'm not anti-ev i'm anti rushing ev all overnight without actually thinking about the implications of our future that's all yeah i can't wait to see the pendulum swing back to oh we're doing research on ice engines again (laughs) this isn't panning out how we thought like the return of vinyl what people don't understand about internal combustion engines is it's internal combustion that's not internal oil burning engine you can do a lot of different things what if you use some of the new carbon capture technology There's carbon capture technology that now prints carbon fiber. Stick it on your tailpipe and spit out carbon fiber and print a new car. I mean, like there's so many different things. You're blowing my mind because now I'm sorry. I'm thinking about back to the future. (laughs) Your dad's car. 
and the professor put garbage in it to yeah. make it go. Okay, so did you know that there's an acid that if you put a, an aluminum can in it, it turns to hydrogen gas? And I literally said to my husband, there you go, Mr. Fusion, build it, <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> But that's what we should be looking at is alternatives, not just the one. We should be looking at what are different fuels that we could use that could maybe balance things out. Also, my father, when he was building his car, he was investing research into a Stirling engine which is fascinating. Are we looking into flywheels and kinetic engines, gyroscopic technology, different batteries, all so sorts cool. of different, right? Which that brings up a question for me. Here's going to show my full idiocy. With the hybrids, why can't the kinetic energy of just moving recharge the engine? Why do we <laughs> even have to have a hybrid? That's a fascinating, wonderful, amazing question. It has a lot to do with the energy required to actually push the car forward in different situations. A great way to answer that question would be to drive with your son in his Prius because they have a screen that I was obsessed with if I could watch all the time. You can coast and watch it recharge your battery. Yeah. We haven't quite gotten to the point yet where we can generate enough power, but we've done a lot of research into that. That's one of the things that my father and I were developing an engine that was based on the Sterling engine concept that would go from New York to California in a teaspoon of gas. It was hybrid, but it would only use a teaspoon of gas if you never shut the car actually off. It's possible. Up until this point, it was a lot more difficult because in order to do a lot of that, the computer efficiency, the programming, the timing has to be so specific and powerful that we hadn't quite gotten there yet. But technology has gotten to a point of where we're probably going to see some of those engines coming in the near future if we don't spend all of our research dollars on EV. See, I thought you were just going to say, because Carolyn's science, that's why you can't do it. So. No, you can. You can do it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't speak for Eric since he's being very good about not uh, interjecting. He's dying. Alternators on all the wheels. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's actually part of what is in the design of the engine we were working on, because that's important is the four independent alternators in the wheels generate the power. All right. So let's circle back a moment. So Carolyn, how familiar are you with all the different brands of EVs out there on the market right now? You know of Tesla, you know the hybrid that's the Prius, but full electric vehicles. Do you have knowledge around what your options are when you're trying to make this decision? Not really. I mean, I Googled, I test drove a Tesla. It was really pretty. I liked the lights. I did not like when I would take my foot off the gas. It was like stepping on the brake. Didn't like that. Oh, that's the best. Okay, well, but I guess you get used <laughs> to it, Emily. It really, I was like, wait, what's happening? It was fun to drive. And I drove a Genesis, but I forget who, what's the, what kind of car is that? That's the brand. Hyundai. It's the luxury arm of Hyundai. Correct. There you go. Okay. Also fun and very pretty. I liked the little ball thing in the middle. That's about all I know. There's a lot. That in are the year there. 2023, available, and I didn't fact check this number, but I at least have a list of 43 different I'm not surprised. EVs that are available, and it spans... And probably you don't want a GMC Hummer, but nonetheless, there's <laughs> Hummer, there's Ford, there's Rivian. Those are going to be pickup trucks. You've got various different Audi models 
You've got the outrageously priced Porsches. You've got Jaguar has an entry. Volvo, Emily has one. Cadillacs, BMWs, you know of the Genesis already. Tesla, of course. The Nissans, because Nissan Leaf has been around for a while, right? They've got a few other models as well. You've got Kia has entered the fray for a while now. And VW, got the ID4, the new ID7, all that stuff. Toyota, obviously, is in the mix. I'm really impressed with the Prius. Like I said, my son's Prius is almost 20 years old and he's driving it in Utah cold, in Utah snow, and it's still going. Same battery. When they first came out with it, my dad told me to go buy one. That's why I ended up buying one. He said they are selling this car for less than what it costs them to make to get this technology out there. And he was really impressed with how I loved that car. I loved driving it every day. It was so much fun. Very well made. So what's the hybrid I should buy? You should do what works for you. So you like to go to the cold. That's another thing about EV. Your battery drains. Think about when you take out your phone or think about ghosts. Or it's like, oh, it gets colder and my battery drained in my <laughs> thing. So you have to consider your life right now. And when it comes to what you buy, feel good about what you buy. So you're asking what hybrid you should buy. That should be based around what is it that you like to do and what's going to fit your needs. And also you can consider how how the hybrid functions when it comes back to the charging back of the battery and different things, because there are different ways you can drive the car to get a lot more gas mileage, different ways you can feel better about it. The question I would have for you is you describe that you want to be going skiing and making these long drives. What's more important to you? Having a lot more space so that if you have more stuff to take with you, you don't have to worry or the ability to zip around and not have to worry. Do you want something a little more fun to drive or something that can fit all your stuff no matter what? That's where you start. Yeah. I would consider the Toyota hybrid just because I've been so impressed with the Prius. That's the one that I would lean towards. But it would need to be bigger because I got an 85 pound dog that takes up half the car. And then I got the rest of my gear. Have you seen the bigger Priuses? Mm -mm. Yeah, they have new bigger Priuses. They have like little mini SUV. And the new one is so beautiful. Like it got all kinds of press coverage for being just really cool looking. How much? It looks like they start at 27,000 and the XLE, the bigger one is about around 40. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> What's your price range, Carolyn? Yeah. Where do you live in your mind? Where would you want to be? Because that's going to exclude a lot of your choices. Yes, it is. Straight at EVs. Honestly, Kat, what you just said about the Prius is shocking. I paid for my CRV and I got like the top of the line, brand new, like no miles on it. And I paid 48 for it. Now that was in 2017. So to get a Prius hybrid, I'm surprised that it's about the same price. What do I want to pay? Like, I don't know, 5000 or something. $5,000, nothing. <laughs> Is there a Radio Shack around still? Get you a little remote control car. Batteries. I Duracell energizer. Again, I paid 8000 for it, but used. But yeah, no, I expect to pay about 50000 to get like all the comforts and I don't want to pay a subscription for my heated seats. That's not here yet. Right. So the heated seats, super important to me. Like these are the things I look for is the heated seat kind of thing. You have narrowed my field of 43 significantly by saying you want to be, we'll call it between 40 and 60. Yeah. There's a chunk of cars that sit there. And then I think the next question has to be based on your passions and hobbies and use case, how far do you want to go on a charge? 
because that's going to narrow your window even further. There's a place in the desert that I go to fairly often. It's about three and a half hours from here. So it's not fair because I do stop for gas halfway. I don't want to stop and charge. If I could stop and charge as fast as I could fill up with gas, no problem. But I'm not going to stop and charge for 45 minutes. So let's say you need to at least hit a 300 mile mark. Yeah. In the 40 to $60,000 range. We've narrowed it down. That's a small group. <laughs> seven cars. <laughs> and it will fit my dog. There's seven that will fit the criteria. I've got the Mach-E, the Ford F-150. That'll fit your dog in the back. The Cadillac Lyric, the BMW i4, which I don't think would fit your dog. I'm not no. sure which size that one is. That's the little one or not. The Ionique 5, which is small, probably won't fit your dog, but it's a nice car. The Aria, which is the Nissan, and then the larger Kia EV6, which apparently we just learned costs less than the Ionic 5. Well, but I'm also very concerned about what you've brought up, Kat. If these cars are really only going to last eight, 10 years, that makes me sick to my stomach. That feels worse than burning fossil fuel right now to me. We haven't gotten there yet, but there is no plan for what's going to happen to these cars. If we're not talking about it, we should be because yeah, that's it. If we're creating a bunch of throwaway cars, what's going to happen to them? Are we recycling them? Are we reusing the parts? By the way, the $40,000 included a $5,000 markup. So the highest MSRP is only $35,000, which is wow. kind of mind blowing. I want to go buy a Prius now. I do too. There's so many pieces to this. It's bonkers. But basically, you have the federal tax credit. It used to apply to any EV that you bought. And then as of the summer, it became any EV that was made in America. And so a lot of these credits are being shifted away from the Hyundais and the Kias and all this. And I think that it is provided incentive for those manufacturers to start wanting to build back in America. I think that's the lofty goal there. But it's also important to be mindful that you cannot take that credit for granted. You have to determine whether or not the car that you are looking at is eligible for that. And then you might have some state incentives and whatnot. Again, it's not as black and white as we're used to everything being just a regular internal combustion car purchase. There are more factory options. BMWs building in this country, Volkswagen, Toyota. They actually are going to be building EVs in a Kentucky plant, I heard. Breaking news. Mercedes have plans. Yep. I think there's even plans for more manufacturers to do that because it is more beneficial to be near your market. <laughs> Michigan actually yes. just started a whole initiative to try to get more manufacturing in state from some of these automotive manufacturers. They're not the only ones either. This is a whole big push that's happening across the industry. That's actually the entire business model we have is to rebuild Detroit. It's all built around bringing manufacturing back and providing yep. jobs and taking the hit so that the manufacturers who want to keep making their own money can and I'll just do my not-for-profit thing over here. See, but there again, I will go back to the whole maintenance thing. Like if I blow a tire, if I crack a windshield. My Tesla, my husband was driving it and got in an accident. So I am also the current owner of a 2022 Nissan Rogue Sport as my rental car. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Sarah, you just brought up some stuff like when you get in an accident or blow a tire, what the hell do you do? Or even crack a windshield. Aren't they like super expensive and even hard to replace? 
So this is actually the second time that my car's gotten hit. Neither time has been our fault. So the other people's insurance paid for it. The second time is definitely going to be more because the impact ruined some parking sensors and some other sensors. And it was just more extensive. Before that, did not have a whole lot of repairs on my old car. So when I did have repairs, it was very inexpensive. So I would have sticker shock if I were to be paying for this repair myself. The problem that I'm experiencing currently, and I'd be curious to know, I haven't done a whole lot of homework about it, is taking taking an extraordinarily long time even to just get into the shop. The administrative piece of it, it's been frustrating. Once it's in the shop, like the first time, it took them about a month and a half, and it was just basically a bumper and a new lift gate repair. That took a significant period of time. I think that was six and a half weeks. Isn't that usually just because Tesla is the only company that's manufacturing those bumpers and those parking sensors? They don't have sources that can manufacture it for them aftermarket. They're so tightly held on that. It's not surprising it's taking that long. I think there are more of them out on the road now. So there's just more volume of cars to be repaired. Yep. So I think that they're having a tough time keeping up. Now, the caveat to that is that we did want to go to the Tesla shop and not to one of their approved vendors. So I was being very picky about that just because I'm so nervous. Because there's sensor damage here, I was feeling yep. like, oh, I'm just really not sure I want to navigate that and worry about whether or not that's going to be a repair that's not up to snuff. So when you say sticker shock, like how big of a sticker shock? My current estimate, just what the insurance estimate the damage to be before even getting in the shop and having them get in there and look at it, it's already at $4,800. And the estimates tend to be lowballed as well. Right. And it is not a car you can work on yourself. I mean, maybe there's somebody out there who could. I am not someone who would feel confident doing that. And of course, then there's warranty issues. There's too many cameras and sensors. Yeah. Probably requires special Tesla proprietary computers to hook up and (laughs) disable this, that, and the other to unlatch the bumper screws or something ridiculous like that. I had a former coworker that had a similar experience in the before times. So there was no chip shortage or things like that, supply chain issues. And he had just bought a Model 3 or whatever. I think he had it two days essentially, or a week at most. And he got rear-ended by like a city metro bus. It was at very low speed apparently but still the rear end bumper damage it was months that he was back on a rental car and it was just like wow if it was a Toyota you'd have been in and out in you know eight days on your way I heard from someone they had something wrong with one of their Tesla doors and it took them months and months and months of trying to source one and get it painted. And they ended up buying a busted up Tesla out of a junkyard or off of a towing company and ended up reinstalling the door that way. And they got it paint matched. But that was the only way that they were ever going to get a door for it because doors are going towards new manufactured cars. You have to buy one that's totaled to get them. You guys are totally talking me out of an EV. No, (laughs) no, no. <laughs> There's so many options. A certain brand. <laughs> yeah, Tesla so is not options. the only one. Tesla yeah. is not the only one. Am I six weeks out like Sarah? No. These days, you're paying an arm and a leg if you crack a windshield, <laughs> no matter what it is, because these windshields with the fancy sensors are right. like ridiculous. Speaking of windshields, back to Carolyn's question Is that not covered under your comprehensive deductible? So, like 250 or even zero deductible. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah. So it's like, that seems sort of moot. Well, other than getting it in. And so I want to say it was within a month, we had to replace the windshield on the ID4 because a truck kicked up a rock and took it out. Well, Safely claims they can repair it and do the programming. They couldn't. Right. So what had happened was we had to take it to Volkswagen. They had to reprogram it. We had to pay $700 for them to reprogram it. And then we sent the receipt for that back to Safelight and they reimbursed us. How long did that whole process take though, too? Again, lazy. It was about a month. Yeah, I think everything's just going to take longer with EVs because the tech is so much deeper and there's just Mm -hmm. not an abundance of it. Mm. And then there's not an abundance of workers or shops to go to that are certified or understand the technology and can do all those replacements. So at this juncture with it still being so new and sort of in its infancy, it's just going to be a lot harder than my Toyota Corolla, blah, 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 Honda Civic. And I, you know, a week later, I've got it fixed with parts from Advanced Auto. A lot of the new cars with all like the distance control and whatever other crap that's in the windshield. They're all taking just as long to get that stuff. And they're probably going through that same process. So that's not exclusive to EVs. Mm. Well, my CRV just has plain glass. Yes, I like that. Mine do too. (laughs) They don't sense the weather. (laughs) Yeah, your tires are going to be regular tires. Yeah. You might want to get like a a low rolling resistance tire, but you can do regular tires. And especially since you're in Utah, you can put on all weather, a winter tire. Now you're not going to be as efficient with a winter tire and all of this, but you can do that. So some of the basic things you're okay on. And that is the benefit of going with an EV from a known manufacturer and an established manufacturer. So those parts are going to be much easier to come by and much easier to replace versus something new like a Rivian or a Tesla or Alpha or Fisker or Lucid. Right. So Chrissy, because you've had regular Volkswagens, we'll call them gasoline powered, and now you have the electric Volkswagen. Do you feel like you're in a Volkswagen when you're in the ID4 or was it something totally different? Meaning to say a Volkswagen's a Volkswagen so you can have that comfort and know what you're getting? It's a Volkswagen, absolutely. It's comfortable. We like it. I still have problems with getting used to the things that the car wants to do for me. I still like to have control. It's the worst part. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, what do you mean? What does it want to do for you? (laughs) Well, to conserve energy, you're supposed to use like adaptive cruise control. And so it spaces the vehicles for you based on whatever the camera is telling you. My CRV does that too, and I don't like it. And I hate it because (laughs) even though Mike has it sort of like as close as it can be, because we might be a little bit of the tailgaters, but people can still cut you off. Well, and that too. (laughs) And so it's like, I don't want to drop five miles per hour because I'm just getting ever so slightly too close to a car. So I hate that. I love my adaptive cruise control. It took a lot of getting used to and it was terrifying for a while, but it's much nicer. I will say though, just generally the adaptive cruise control technology, even in EVs or whatever kind of car it is, has a long way to go before like some of that gets smoothed out so that the experience as a driver is a little bit more friendly and less terrifying and an association with whatever your 
kind of like principles are, but your point, Carolyn, about somebody cutting you off, that is the most irritating thing. And my dad has made comments about how much he loves cutting off EVs that have adaptive cruise control on because the driver gets all frustrated and flustered. It is what it is, but you can certainly disable those things. I don't drive with really any of that enabled because I don't like cruise control on an internal combustion engine. I think it makes me crazy. I don't like to not feel like I know exactly what the car is doing at all times. There's a lot that you can work on that with, but that would be something that you would want to pay attention to when you do a test drive. What can I turn off? What can I adjust so that I feel comfortable and confident? I love cruise control. I cruise control through traffic. I do too. (laughs) It's amazing. Again, lazy. My ankle gets tired, but also I will get a ticket if I don't put on cruise control. Emily, same question, because you've got the Volvo EV right now, and I believe you have past history with regular Volvos. So we have a lot of Volvos. Are you getting the same Volvos of Volvo, same experience? You're comfortable? You're recognizing what you have? Or is it something totally disparate? So let's be clear. A Volvo is not always a Volvo. We have a Volvo 480 Turbo, and that (laughs) looks nothing like any of the other Volvos that exist in the market. It is a nice interior. It's well-made. It meets kind of like my style expectations on the interior. I don't look like somebody super glued an iPad to the dash and it doesn't look like I'm sitting in the middle of a cockpit with just glass everywhere that you see with the Mercedes EQS. It's a little insane, but it's nice. It's comfortable. I definitely get the safety features that one would expect from Volvo and they're very noticeable and I enjoy them. I wanted to say and emphasize that a plug-in hybrid might really be a nice middle ground for Carolyn to consider. It's kind of the best of all worlds. You're going to have an engine, so you're going to have the safety of not having range anxiety that a lot of people perceive as a hurdle towards EV ownership. You're going to have the regenerative braking. Even when you drive and your battery depletes, you can charge it up again. You can plug it in at night. It's going to be a, a small amount of charge, but you can plug it in just to a regular outlet and get a few miles each night and, you know, enough to maybe get a couple of errands done and get out on the road. So I would really advise you to consider that if you kind of feel like the full EV may not be right for you, but you still want to consider something different and kind of new frontierish. Sort of a stepping stone to EV. If you're not fully ready to commit yet, go that middle ground where you're slowly kind of getting into that EV range without fully committing yet. Right. And like Kat said, if you have these long trips that you're taking all the time and you don't want to be sitting at a charging station for however long during those trips, it's really potentially a, a good option. All right, so we've narrowed your field down considerably. I'm sorry, but Kat's already convinced me. I'm going for the <laughs> All right, so we're done. We're, we're done. Switching gears. So now on to what should I buy hybrid edition? How can Carolyn go about starting this journey, this process? Any recommendations? I mean, obviously, if you're looking for new, new, you're going to a new car dealership. But these days, is that still have the same relevancy as it once did? Are there other means... When we bought the Tundra back in July, they're not taking custom orders for Toyotas. And that may have changed since then. But it's basically you go to the dealer, you tell them what you want, and they'll try to 
get as close as they can with it. Like they took what colors we wanted, what features we absolutely needed. And it's like, hey, we've got this coming in on the truck in the next couple of weeks. Does this work for you? That's how Toyota did it. Very similar with mine. I ended up placing two orders for the same car through two different dealers to try to get the car I wanted because Volvo shut off the ability to build your own custom car Mm -hmm. with whatever package options you wanted and extra features. So I was talking to two different dealers to see which one was going to get here first off of the boat. And one of them, I had an order in with Volvo USA. And that was the one that happened to come in like just a few weeks early. It was incredibly frustrating. It took six to eight weeks after I placed the order. But some people, they were waiting six months at least. So just like shopping for anything else, go to the store to look at it, then go home, get online and buy it off Amazon. Yeah, that's about right. That's not uncommon for any car right now. It's Mm. just been that way. But I would say that because you are looking at making a change from your current car to potentially a hybrid, some type of EV, I do think auto shows are still good for that because you're going to find that the cargo space and the seating space is going to feel a little different Mm. because you know how you use your space. It's not always a thing where you can say, oh, this car has such and such cubic feet of cargo. You know, maybe you're carrying a a dog kennel, maybe you're carrying skis, all of those different pieces say to me that maybe an auto show would be a good fit for you. And you could walk around and you may not be able to order that car just yet, but at least you can have a sense of how that's going to work differently for you. I agree. That's a great way when I'm looking for a new type of car and it doesn't matter the manufacturer, the auto show is the first place I go. You said you drive a CRV. Yes. So the hybrid CRVs, it's 40 grand. There you go. You can just go with the same car you drive now. Ta-da, sold. <laughs> yeah, ta-da. I finished my last payment on the CRV maybe six months ago. It's been so nice because I don't have maintenance fees yet. And no car payment has been just like so nice. So the idea of getting a car payment again kind of makes me sick to my stomach. And that was my father's point. Why is this a thing that we are married to? Why is this normalized? Why is your second biggest payment something you just accept making forever? Forever. Until the end of death. Yeah. I'm enjoying no car payment right now. So screw the planet? No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, yes. (laughs) Hashtag team dead dinosaurs all the way. (laughs) No. I'm actually looking at how to convert my diesel to like used cooking oil. Save the planet and, you know, save my car. The other problem in all of this that always gets glazed over it too is the big bad oil. You know, oh, we hate them, blah, blah, blah. Well, the problem is gasoline and diesel, especially nowadays, are byproducts of all the other stuff that everyone's not willing to give up in life. Plastics, makeup, all sorts of adhesives, the asphalt on the road that we drive our cars on. That is all a result of crude oil transformation in a refinery. And I don't believe there's a world where you could possibly never have gasoline and diesel because you could keep destroying those down into smaller components that then could be chemical feedstocks to make all our plastics and stuff like that. But there's a cost associated with doing that. It doesn't make sense at a certain point. So then suddenly my pen here is going to cost me $30 because my raw material goods is so expensive, right? So that goes back to this balance of don't put all your eggs in one basket. 
we can significantly decrease volumes of things, but I don't see where you're ever going to get rid of it entirely. Has anybody considered evaluating whether or not their older classic car is worth an EV upgrade? Eric's very happy with that. What do you mean an EV upgrade? You can do that? Yeah. 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 Have been some people that have taken older like Jaguars and things like that, and they'll go buy a Tesla battery pack motor, whatever, and they'll stick it in there. Or there are people that are crazy enough to do that. I just saw an article about the, I forget what it was he was converting, but I just sort of, I was like, oh, cool, bye. <laughs> It's a neat way of getting it back to that tactile and still being able to work hands-on on your car because if you're the one that's actually doing the work and putting it in, you'll know those systems very well. Ideally, they're ones that you designed or ones that you worked with a company to make sure that you had all the parts for. That market is so young. I know that there's a shop EV West in California that will take some classic older cars and they'll convert them to EVs for you. I think they've been popularized with Volkswagen bugs from a really long time ago. Doing Porsche for a while yeah it's a neat alternative if you can get over how you're getting that electricity to the car to charge it in the first place but for some of those smaller cars you can get great performance out of them there's also a new three-wheeled ev coming out made by malcolm brickland that's a whole lot of fun to drive you know you should check that one out too all right so now that we've solved carolyn's next purchase (laughs) debacle (laughs) have we have we? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I'm <laughs> probing. I'm probing. The Honda CRV hybrid that does exist, so that there's already 2023 models for that. So that might pique your interest. But I guess would that satisfy what you're looking for? It'd be more of the same of what you already have. It'd be very comfortable. Or are you looking to further branch out? Actually, that feels really good to me, other than the car payment. Maybe I'm just really justifying my part in screwing the planet. <laughs> Think about all of the carbon that went into manufacturing the new car and you're keeping your old car on the road. So you can't say I'm being a bad steward of the environment because I'm not doing this thing. There's also other things you can do to get better gas mileage out of the car that you're driving. And again, other ways to offset the carbon that you create. Just drive responsibly and respectably. Do the best you can with what you have. Understand that it's not all black and white. There's return on investment in intangible things in corporate world. So if you think about people equate things to dollars and cents, this iPad costs a certain amount of money. And if I break this iPad or if something happens to it, I can put a dollar amount on it. But people don't think about if my system goes down, I also have people hours for every person that I pay, $15 an hour, whatever, that adds up. Just like I wonder what it costs for BMW to charge people for those heated seats. They have to pay people to support them and to charge people and the infrastructure. People don't think about those dollars and cents. So it's not all black and white. I have felt really guilty about driving the car that I'm driving. It's kind of a gas guzzler. I checked it today. It averages 25 miles to the gallon. I don't feel as guilty. All of your points, I'm hearing you guys. It's not black and white. I want to let you off the hook a little bit about that too, because to Kat's point, there's a lot that goes into this. And as you move forward through this process, 
maybe the right thing to do is to keep your card that you have right now and either just proceed as normal or figure out if your driving habits can create more fuel efficiency. You can also determine a threshold for you as you learn. For example, I went to the launch of a Toyota BZ concept and they were talking all about zero emissions and their new goal of being carbon neutral. To Kat's point, we want every piece of this car to be something that will either be reused or will be offset in some way, shape, or form. They obviously don't have a timeline for that yet. It's kind of the lofty goal. But you can also decide as a consumer to do your homework and figure out how important that is to you. And when you're ready to pull the trigger on a new purchase, you can make that decision a part of your purchase. You know, when I bought my car, it was only in 2021, but it felt like there were no other options. And the luxury of this right now is that you do, including the option not to buy. You can move forward in this process thinking about what is the thing that makes me feel the worst? Is it the perception that I'm a horrible person? Yeah, that's the one. Yes, in my car? <laughs> or is it really that I've never taken care of the car and there's a big black cloud coming out of the back or whatever? I think you need to understand that it's okay to maintain status quo. And even if you decide that you want an internal combustion engine that is more efficient for your new car, that's a good thing too. Yeah, you guys have made me feel really good about myself. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You know, what's amazing is, is there's so much in our lives that we do decisions we make and choices, the way we treat ourselves that are based on these ideas we have in our head about what other people think about us. I had this really profound experience with this lately where I was struggling with something at work. And then I heard my curriculum director describing her struggles with the same exact thing. And then I said, you know, it's really nice that you shared that with me because I felt a little less alone. And she said, you know, I said to myself, if this badass hacker who did this for 20 years is getting stuck on the same thing, maybe I'm not so bad. I said, wow. I said, if my badass curriculum director who can learn all these things is getting stuck, maybe I'm not so bad. So here, both of us were beating up on ourselves, thinking the other one was the coolest thing on the planet. It was all in our head. You're making decisions based on what you think is outside of your space. Examine your whole life. I guarantee you that there are things in your life that you're doing that are causing far more damage to the environment than driving your car that you can actually take action on now to feel better about what you're doing. And then take this in stride. Make a decision based on what's good for you. Understand the implications of changing the car that you have. Maybe buy a used CRV hybrid that has a lower car payment and is something that somebody already had the carbon that went into developing it. And now you're just swapping one for the other. There's a lot of different things. And you have to first forgive yourself for what's in your own head that nobody else is thinking about you. Absolutely. Because I have done some research, but to listen to each one of you who actually are pretty passionate about this, have experience in this, you're experts in this area, and to hear the different angles and to hear all the considerations that each of you have taken has been very helpful. You know, you can rat hole on the research and looking at the different cars. And then I'm like, I don't know. Is the CRV hybrid good? I don't know. But it's been really helpful with listening to all of you and your experience. 
since we seemingly solved her car debacle, going back to EVs in general, and we'll take your criteria off specifically and use the criteria of kind of a general everyday car. What would we recommend to somebody looking for a pure EV that kind of meets your going to work every day, whatever we want to call a normal mileage commute is. I go to the grocery store, a couple extra things during the week. I've got 2.1 kids and a dog, maybe, maybe not. What would be that all around? Is it the Volvo? Is it the ID4? Is it something else? Is it the Tesla? I think it all depends on your price range and and what you need to do with it. How big does it need to be? Really, give me a lucid air, right? I know. Right? Oh, oh my oh. God. Have <sighs> you seen the alphas too? Those are gorgeous. <laughs> the Fisker Ocean that looks like a fat beluga whale. It's so adorable. <laughs> okay, so I think what I would say, the other significant question is, And it's so counterintuitive, but how are you going to charge? I think the answer is different. If you are going to be able to charge at home, it's not wildly different, but you are going to have a different experience of EV ownership if you are charging out in the world. And it's a serious part of the EV conversation right now because so many people don't own their homes and they may not live somewhere where they can just plug in when they get home at night. For me, that would be... number one thing you have to ask yourself. I would add on and say, do you enjoy driving? I think driving is one of those things that everybody can fall in love with, with the right car and with the right time and the right set of things off of their mind. I love my XD40 recharge and I would buy another one because I enjoy the experience. But as of late, I'm looking at whether or not a Polestar is in my future at some point or an alpha or a lucid or something that's newer cutting edge to to kind of push the envelope of what EVs could be in America 20 or 30 years from now. Because I want to see the market do well. And I want to see us to be more economically responsible with how we're developing and building these cars for consumers. When you say alpha EV, what are you talking about? The Alpha Motors Ace and the Wolf that they have. Those are some pretty awesome things. They also have the Saga. I want to see that. Oh, yeah. They're classic retro designs. They're beautiful. Not talking about Alfa Romeo, unfortunately. No, probably not. <laughs> oh, look at that. Aren't they cool? Yeah. They're the Thank ones you. that have the pickup truck that looks like the one from Back to the Future that Marty drove. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. yes. I'm not a pickup truck person, but that one's pretty cool. <laughs> that is really neat. I like it. If I don't bring this one up, Eric will be very sad because his current answer is Maki, Maki, Maki. What do people think about Ford's Maki value for money? Fully loaded. I think it's more closer to the 50,000 range. So you're somewhere between 40 and 50,000 for this. You get a little bit over 300 miles of range. It's a Ford that could deter you. That could make you happy. I don't know. I will never date somebody who drives a Mustang, period. End of conversation. Oh, oh. Shots fired. (laughs) That's just it. My girlfriend, she would never speak to me again. So, (laughs) I mean, it's an F-body thing. However, I met the guy in charge of the new Mustang launch. And on my board is a keychain because he was a fabulous man. So there is that. But that's my response to the Rocky. Ladies and gentlemen, the only Ford cat will own that keychain. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's actually not true because I drive a Ford F-250. I love my Ford truck. I love Ford trucks. So I just can't drive specifically a Mustang or date anybody who drives a Mustang. It goes back to my first car was a Z28 in the 90s. And that was the, the heat of the Mustang Camaro shootout. It's like ingrained in my teenagerdom that I can't. <laughs> I must hate all those things. I think the Maki isn't a bad purchase. It's not like my taste. Ford is Ford. If you like Fords, go with the Maki. If you're trying to look for an EV, they have a good range. They've got some good pep scene that they handle well, but I have not personally driven one. I'm looking at one right now. It says it's $80,000. Like there's a range. Of course you find the $80,000 one. <laughs> I personally really want the F-150. The Lightning? I just passed one yeah. on the road the other day. I got married in a Lightning version. So the Harley Davidson F-150, it was a Lightning edition F-150. So that has a little bit of something to do with it. But that's the one EV that sparked my true interest so no cyber truck no no making cars out of stainless steel stupid (laughs) (laughs) i just think the cyber truck is stupid little known fact it was because he couldn't afford a paint factory for three billion dollars and he knew somebody who could actually forge the stainless steel and then his genius was making it seem intentional oh who knows if that figment of musk's imagination will ever actually I can tell you from trying to actually make one car out of stainless steel, there's no way. When my dad made it out of stainless steel, stainless was actually cheaper than aluminum because aluminum was only provided to the aerospace industry. So he would have made it out of brushed aluminum if he could have. It just was way too expensive. Making something out of stainless today, especially when it's so much harder to come by when all appliances are made by it, I can't even get a sheet of it. So how he's going to build many cars, I don't know. That's a great question. Nobody knows. Already four years behind. Allegedly, it's this year, but probably not. They still haven't figured out the laser beams for the windshield wipers yet, so they can't, you know, go to production yet. (laughs) To start closing out, and I'm going to point at Sarah. So are there any new features that are really cool that people should be looking for in their new car, EV or otherwise, really? And, you know, what are some tips and tricks or do's and don'ts about going on this journey? People are looking for new cars every day from anything from two years ago, you know, beyond. That's what I'm thinking of when you're thinking of new features. I came back to this world of actually buying a car after owning my car for 10 years. And I had stepped away from riding for a while. So I was just really surprised at how tech heavy everything was. You know, new features that you should look for in a new car that might help ease that transition to me are something like Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Pat had kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but every manufacturer has their own kind of in-house multimedia system. Some of those are easier to use than others. So I find that using something like Apple CarPlay can ease that transition, if not be something that I use completely depending on the car that I'm driving. I would really like, have they solved the problem of using my nav on my phone, putting it on my display in my car? That's what Apple CarPlay will do for you. The only caveat is that if you are driving somewhere where you're going to lose coverage, like where your phone would drop off or where you don't have service, you're not going to be able to see that navigation happening. So the benefit of it when it's 
in the car system is that it's usually a downloaded map that's in the system. So you can go through the desert and still get the directions directly from the car. More advancements in that particular feature set because Mercedes just revealed that they're joining a partnership with Google and specifically to use their navigation technology in their new vehicles. Yeah, the Android Auto. Right. It's the interface that I don't like in my car. It's just enough different than what I use on Google Uh, Maps. Right. I have never used the navigation system in my CRV because I can't figure out how to use the damn interface. (laughs) See, that's really funny because that's one of the things that I asked when trying to design our cars. I said, why does anybody put all this tech in the car anymore? Nobody uses it. Why don't they just create something that will magnify your phone screen? Absolutely. Hello. (laughs) Because I don't know anybody who uses the navigation in their car, especially since it goes... Like you have to update it after a while. So what's the point? Why do we spend all this money in navigation? Nobody uses. I will say a lot of cars now will have a wireless charging pad for your phone. And that I've seen a lot of innovative ways of doing that. In the new Corvette, there's like a vertical charging pad back here, which is so nice. So sometimes it's vertical. So if there's a space saving issue, you can use it that way. But oftentimes it's a flat pad, but it creates a space for your phone. And then you can connect via Bluetooth and have everything talking to your phone, which is really fun. So is there anything unique to EV car buying when you walk into the dealership and you just feel like you're going to get swindled every time you go into those places sometimes? Is it the same, same? Doesn't matter that it's an internal combustion engine. Doesn't matter that it's running off pixie dust. Or are there certain things they try to trap you with, things that can be confusing that a first-time EV buyer should be more mindful of than maybe what they're used to? Depends if you talk to the dealer. (laughs) You just go online. Like you just go and try out the car at like an auto show and then go buy online. I would say it's the same last minute add-ons that they get you for anything else that you walk into the dealership with. I don't think that there's anything I recall from my buying experience that was unique to the EV. They wanted to give me the fancy extra paint protection. Did they try to sell you the oil change kit or something? Yeah, like all those stupid add-on features. Yeah, you know, the guy who's doing the financing, it's like, well, if you get this for an extra $700 and it's like... Yeah, it's an EV. I don't got to change that. That's all ice cream crap. What about home charging stuff, though? I would think that would be different because they'll try and sell you a home charging station, right? So I didn't get that with mine. I got a package of like credits with ChargePoint or whatever the other one is, like one of the popular ones, so like a free year of charging, anything like that, like a $50 gift certificate off the ChargePoint, whatever it was. I had taken the time to figure out what kind of charger I wanted to install at my house. I watched YouTube videos based off of temperatures and how those cables wrap mindsets outside that I was going to be able to plug it in in like zero degree weather outside when it's snowing and not fight a cable that's stiff. And being aware of those types of programs, like most manufacturers right now are partnering with Electrify America. That's one. There might also be some with EVgo, but it's like get three free years of charging. So you want to be sure that if you do purchase that car that you are getting those kinds of services. Are you able to finance your home charging station when you buy your car with the car? I don't think so, or at least it wasn't that way with Volkswagen. Really? 
separate, but then we got a tax credit from the state yeah. and yep. the Fed for the purchase of the charger and install. 40% back from the state just for the install cost. That is such a terrible barrier entry point to EV ownership. Is. That is so Absolutely. discriminatory. And like, how much is a charger? Depends. Tens of thousands of dollars. Are you serious? You can't afford and you can't finance it with your car. You are automatically shutting out an entire segment of our population that cannot afford to do the upfront cost of that. I am so, do not That's like true. Me. You can get a home charging kit. It totally depends on the manufacturer. So the prices yeah. are different per manufacturer. So they're usually around $2,000, give or take. But then you also have to consider whether or not you have the electrical foundation. Like you have have to make sure that you have the ability to power that charger so you need the right kind of amp you have and, to have yep. your house redone by an electrician which is a cost that i already assumed you had to absorb which is significant because i had to do it when i wanted to install a kiln it's also one of the cost barriers if you want to look at how much it might cost there's a lot of information on installing the tankless water heaters they also mm -hmm. require mm -hmm. the same type of power to your house so you can estimate how much it'll cost and it's significant because because they have to actually run the power from the power line. You'll pay more money at, from the power company. Yeah, so it's not the charger itself. It's getting the infrastructure to be able to use the charger. Yeah. Usually the only exception to that is if you already have like a 240 volt outlet in your garage, you can retrofit that to make it work with your charger. So now that we're tacking on an extra $10,000, $20,000 to your EV purchase, you have now moved your choice option to still hit a 50,000 target to the Chevy Bolt. That's <laughs> a fun car. Actually, the Chevy Bolt has a really high satisfaction rating, probably because it's a $20,000 EV. <laughs> your standards are down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could also get a Nissan Leaf, a Mini, or a Mazda MX-30, but you're getting 150 mile range at best. And the thing about the LEAF is, depending on where you live, as the infrastructure, especially with Electrify America builds out, they're not doing the EV charger that's compatible with the LEAF anymore. They're eliminating right. the chatty mode. Good call. So we're talking about like an Apple Android charger situation here with these EV infrastructure. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Most are CCS. Then there's the Tesla network. And then there's Chattimo, which was Mitsu and Nissan. There's usually one at each of the Electrify America stations I've ever been to. And some jerk parks in front of it in their whatever, and they block it. And then the poor Nissan Leaf pulls up and it's just like, well, I'm going to wait <laughs> because I have no choice. Any closing thoughts for our intrepid EV purchases out there? You know, I started considering some of the things that all of you guys were throwing out. It's an important consideration that I even consider keeping my car right now, because like I looked at the CRV hybrid, I Googled it while we were talking, the gas mileage, I don't know if the gas mileage on the hybrid justifies getting a new car. It's not that much better. It's better. It's not that much better than the one that I'm already driving. So do I... My viewpoint on that is you will never justify a new car purchase if there's nothing already wrong with your current car. Right. If your current car died, then you have full justification. Everything makes sense. You need a so new true. car. But if your car is still going to go another 
10, 15 years and your car's paid for and all you're doing is regular maintenance and you go turn around and you go $60,000, $70,000 for a car. I don't care what the fuel economy is on that thing. It's going to take you years to break back even. That's such an important point to consider. And I, I hadn't thought about that. So I'm just keeping my CRV. Take the money that you save on the car payment and invest it in supporting climate science. Yeah, I like that. Just do something that makes you feel better. Also, I would do the math because I think if you looked at the numbers and saw exactly how much extra damage you as one human would be doing by not buying a new car. Now, again, I'm all for saving the environment. Like I'm all for EVs and all for it, but it has to make sense for you. We can't make decisions based on what we think other people think of us or what's going on in our own heads that isn't reality. So just examine what the reality of the situation is and if you're making up things that aren't real. Yeah. You'll be a lot happier if you keep your current car and then just go plant some algae and it'll Definitely. suck up all the CO2. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Just put a pond in your backyard. That algae will come all on its own. No worries. (laughs) Don't do it. Okay. (laughs) Resounding hybrid is the answer. Hashtag dead dinosaurs. It's entirely based off of like how you would buy a normal car. You need to consider all of the things that your lifestyle needs, the things that you can afford and what you're willing to put up with. Maybe an EV is part of that category. Maybe you just don't want to deal with that headache so filter it out of your next internet search i agree i think they're great for the everyday day-to-day and you have access to your charging station for the situation we presented going on long trips and not wanting to stop definitely not an ev but there are situations where they work unique to everybody depends on who you are and what you need so last question money's no option you sleep on piles of cash what ev would you buy when they may come out one of which you stood at next to that technology show yes yes the buzz so cool no the other one Vizian. oh which other one wasn't there the id7 oh yeah 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 i went inside yeah. the the reveal booth yep that's what i want nice e-ray corvette e-ray lucid air i think was emily's answer but or do you want to change it lucid air or the brand new polestar one of those two polestar one would be really fun yeah the new polestar is amazing i'm googling all of these i don't even know these names (laughs) that you guys are throwing out (laughs) are you happy with your model y sarah would you upgrade i would say i am happy with the ev experience My problem that I've had with my Tesla is it's all screen-based. And I realized that more and more as I got out and started testing other cars again a lot more, I need more than just a screen. So I'm stuck in this space where the Tesla charging network is great and super reliable and fast, but the car itself, it's such a frustrating situation. I don't know that I would buy that car again just based on my in-car experience, especially since there's so many choices now. Good news. Apparently the U.S. government made a deal with Tesla to open up 7,500 chargers on their networks. I know it's exciting. And now we just have to... Now we wait. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have to see how that plays out. So good point, Emily, for sure. I'm excited about that. And I think obviously it opens a a ton of options up for for me going forward. But if money was no object, what would you buy? Uh, I feel like I 
had a really great experience with the Mercedes-Benz EQS. Like if I just didn't have a care in the world and I could drive whatever, it was beautiful. It was customizable. It was the frontier of EV everythingness. But I'm also super curious about the F-150 Lightning. I'm in Colorado, so I feel like I would love to have a truck experience and see what that's all about. I also drove the BMW iX M60. So that's a performance version of their iX, kind of an SUV. It was really interesting in that I always thought like a performance version of an EV is ridiculous because like really is, is it diminishing returns, the power and the speed? Could you really tell? And that was a yes. <laughs> but it's also an EV. It's still not the same as driving a super powerful internal combustion engine cars. Since money is no object, I'm going to go a different route. And I don't want any of the cars listed on my uh, list that I curated. And I'm going to build my own car. <laughs> and I'm going to create a retro Fiat Panda EV. Because <laughs> Fiat Panda is always my answer. If you do that, you have to sell schematics and make parts for everyone else to do it. I'm just putting that out there <laughs> into the universe. Love it. I love it. We hope you enjoyed our What Should I Buy Ladies and EVs edition. And if you're excited for more, well then, keep up with all the latest car trends and vehicle reviews and not just EVs by visiting a girlsguidetocars.com where you can catch all of Sarah's latest car news. Fire up your favorite podcatcher and tech out with Carolyn while listening to Tech Transforms. Learn more from folks like Emily and Chrissy by joining the Grand Touring Motorsports Club. And finally, hop over to dngmotors.com to check on all of Kat's progress in starting up her very own car company and peruse the online tribute museum to her father at DeLoreanLegacy.org. Ladies, I gotta say, this has been a stellar episode. It's been awesome to watch you guys debate EVs. And you know what? I have to say, I think you did a better job than the guys normally do, where we get up on our soapboxes and pontificate about spending other people's money in cars that are absolutely unobtainable. But you know what? I learned a lot from this, and I hope our listeners did too. And if I can just add one little extra thing, I think if money was no object and I had to buy an alternative fuel vehicle, there's two on my list, one of which keeps playing the host pokey on me, which is the Hyundai concept. And then I think I might just wait for this new supercar that's coming out and we'll see when it becomes available as an EV. So I'll just leave it there. But thank you all for joining us yet again. You know, the difference between the male and all female is that I believe we were all sober. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a huge difference. <laughs> but this was really fun. Thanks, you guys. And thanks for all the advice. It was very helpful. No, thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202 630 1770 or send us an email at crew chief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey everybody, crew chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization 
And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind the scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.